0: Welcome to Sermons and Sounds of Plymouth, the podcast of Plymouth United Church of Christ. I'm Pastor David, and on behalf of the members of this congregation, thank you very much for joining us. May God bless you through these words, and may you know God's love through them. Now, the podcast. During the Easter season, instead of an Old Testament lesson we read out of the book of Acts, and that's the story of the early church, Uh, and our Acts lesson today... There's a story of Paul's uh, Saul, called Saul Here, uh, his conversion experience on his road to Damascus as uh, Saul has been persecuting these early followers of uh, Jesus. And he was first introduced about a chapter ago at the stoning of Stephen. Uh, it says Saul approved of Stephen's uh, stoning, and then after this he becomes known as Paul. So I invite George to come up and read our lessons for us, please.
1: The first lesson is from Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if, that, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he, may, he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul <clears throat> he was with the disciples in Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God.
0: Our gospel lessons from the Gospel of John, picking up uh, after last week's reading. Uh, and we are, at some point last week was a story of doubting Thomas. So he had Jesus appearing to the disciples in the locked room on the evening of Easter, and then appears again a week later, and that's when Thomas saw him, and now uh, this story happening sometime later, doesn't actually say uh, how long, but the disciples have another encounter with the resurrected Jesus here. And so listen now and hear for how God is speaking to you through these words of John's Gospel. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know That it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, you have no fish, have you? And they answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. And so they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. And the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, a hundred fifty-three of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. Here ends the reading. And thanks be to God. Well, these are incredibly rich texts that we read from this morning, especially uh, the passage from Acts and the passage uh, out of John's Gospel. There's enough uh, in there for many a good discussion and, uh, and many a good sermon. One could go on for a long time. Uh, on either of of those texts, uh, and I have preached on each uh, a couple of times. I kind of looked through my records to see if uh, there was one that I hadn't preached on, and I've I've done a few sermons on on both of those. I just rich, wonderful text. Saul's conversion uh, and the story on the side of the sea with the disciples fishing and Peter uh, being naked in the boat for some reason and coming into shore and Jesus saying, have breakfast. Here I am. Uh, there's a lot there. Uh, but as I, I looked at them this week, I was kind of curious, not so much the content of what was in these stories, but their, their relation to one another time-wise. kind of just got curious, like where was Paul in relation to Jesus probably at this point in the, in the book of, uh, of Acts, and so I checked a whole uh, bunch of different sources because it's hard to date any of these events uh, exactly or uh, precisely, uh, certainly not as precise as we would like. So I looked at a whole bunch of sources. And, and for the most part, they all place Paul's uh, conversion story here, his uh, conversion on the road to Damascus, place it about four to six years after the resurrection. So this is pretty close. Uh, pretty close to the uh, the resurrection, and, and I also kind of looked at those sources some more, and they 're all uh, pretty much agreed that it would seem that uh, Saul had started his persecution of the Christians or the followers of the way, as they were called. He probably started that about two years after the resurrection, so maybe two to four years before he had this conversion experience that he had been persecuting these people who were talking about Jesus and talking about the way uh, and trying to bring people into this, uh, this new group of followers of Jesus. Uh, and as the book of, uh, the passage from Acts calls it, they were followers of the way, these people of the way. They weren't called Christians yet. That will come in later. At first, the disciples of Jesus refer to themselves as followers of the way. The way that Jesus showed them to live. It was a way of living. And in a lot of ways, I wish that we had kept that term. And you'll still see that term around Christian circles uh, somewhat, but I wish that we had been more deliberate in keeping that name, calling us followers of the way or people of the way, uh, instead of calling ourselves Christians. I think we lost something uh, by focusing or by using that word Christian because it, it's, it's not a bad word um, but it seems to focus us more on being believers in Christ or people who believe something about Christ instead of people who, who follow Christ or who live like Christ, live the way of Christ, of Jesus. It's a minor uh, quibble, but I thought about that and and wonder if uh, part of Christianity's development as it became uh, in some some places and and some periods of time and in some traditions became much more focused on right belief and and doctrine and the afterlife uh, instead of being focused on being the body of Christ. In this life, being followers of Jesus, to do what Jesus wants us to do in this life. Now, if you look at Jesus' actions after his resurrection, he shows up to the disciples uh, in that locked room, breathes his spirit on them, has them touch his hands and feel his wounds. Very physical uh, kind of thing. Very present Present in this world, present to the disciples. And then here on the Sea of Tiberias, Jesus shows up, and what does he do for his disciples? He helps them fish. He helps them do their job of gathering food out of the sea. He helps them with that, and then when they come to shore, he's already cooked breakfast for them. The way. That's the way. And then he tells Peter, after they've, after they've eaten, Peter has denied him three times in the garden. So now Jesus asks these three times, do you love me? And Peter each time says, yes, of course, Lord, I love you. And Jesus says, then feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. This is the, the vocation of the disciple, is to feed and to tend. This action, living, the way, love, feed, tend. Jesus gave us and taught us a new way to live and to be with one another. A new way of community, a new way of relating to our neighbors and to one another. And Saul, persecuting these followers of the way, Saul is in many ways stuck in a particular belief system. That is being challenged by these followers of the way, and in some ways, even if you read uh, the letters that he wrote later after he was starting churches uh, and whatnot, he i think kind of succumbed to some of that temptation to uh, to want it to be about belief again, not entirely, but there is a fair amount of that uh, in his in his letters but here he's persecuting the followers of the way because they're a threat to the belief structure and the social structure of his community. They're going up against the tradition in some ways and going, going up against some of the accepted social and cultural norms. And some of that threat, I think, had to have been due to the popularity of the way, Amongst women and slaves and the poor, the outcasts. That was much of the original audience of the way. Not entirely. We know there were also some uh, more wealthy people that were also uh, attracted to it and that helped to support the movement. But this inclusion of women and the poor and the slaves and the outcast was a threat. There was also some removal of power from the religious leaders as the gatekeepers to access uh, for access to God. Had to go through the priests to get to God. Uh, and this is kind of a new way of saying, no, you don't. All of us are connected to God. We can all have a relationship to God. And so Saul is persecuting these followers of the way for a couple of years. And on his way to uh, Damascus, the church has already... Uh, left Jerusalem and gone into other areas, and so Saul is going to Damascus to round up these followers and arrest them and bring them back to Jerusalem. And on the road, he has this extraordinary conversion experience with Jesus, and he's changed. And he becomes a very passionate evangelist and a very passionate starter of churches. Goes all over the Middle East and Mediterranean, into Italy, starting churches. And sometimes I kind of wish that I had had that sort of dramatic conversion experience. Where the skies opened up, and there was light, and there was Jesus right there saying, Hey, it's all real. I've got to have something that, that definite and that profound to go, oh, okay. This all does make sense to believe. I've seen him. I've had this wonderful conversion experience, but I've never not had that. And I, I think few of us do. Some people have. Certainly you can read uh, in the history of Christianity that there have been people that have had that, and even people today that have had these profound conversion experiences. But for me... I grew up in the, in the church, was raised in the church as a child, and so belief was kind of just always there. I've had my moments of, of doubt uh, and changes of belief and growing in the faith, but I've not had that need for a conversion experience. But what I've had over the years is this constant reconfirming that I'm on a right path. In following Jesus, that this does make sense, that this is real, that, I have, uh, that I'm on the uh, going in the right way, not that I always do it the right way, but that it makes sense for me to be on this path. And there have been in there some amazing moments of feeling God's presence in experiences at, uh, at camp or youth events seminary and in, in churches even some worship services sometimes just being outside in nature these experiences of being very present with god experiences even in hospitals with sick people dying people real profound experiences of of god's presence but not conversion experiences per se like uh, like Saul had here. Uh, so I, I would say don't feel bad if you've not had that kind of extraordinary, incredible conversion experiences. Possibly it's because you've not needed it. But hopefully you've had other experiences of, of feeling God's presence in your life. And so God, Saul has this extraordinary Experience, and then he turns into that guy that takes on a new hobby or picks up a new health fad or exercise regimen or activity or way of being or something. He's the guy that finds something new and won't shut up about it. And he goes on for decades starting churches. It goes from a man who was arresting people for talking about Jesus and he becomes Jesus' biggest spokesman at, the, at that time. And driven partly by the situation of the time to deliver this message of, of love and redemption, uh, which I think is a message that's still attractive Today and still needed today, this message of hope and respect and dignity for those who are on the outside, a message of peace and a culture of violence and war and struggle, this message of a new way of living, a new way of being in the world and with people. You know, the first followers of Jesus lived in this way. They didn't just talk about it. They lived it. They fed people. They loved people. They helped them. They treated them like they were important, and like they mattered. Even people that society and others said don't matter, these followers of the way said, no, you do matter because you're God's. Because God has a claim on you. And some of the early commenters and writers uh, people that, that weren't followers of Jesus, but who were writing about some of these early followers of Jesus, many of them uh, have written about how impressed and surprised they were at how these followers of the way cared for one another and loved one another. They ate together. They shared meals together. A- and, they, and they did so in mixed company. Men and women together. Rich and poor and slaves worshiping together, eating together. Jews and Gentiles coming together. All those boundaries, all those walls that separate us were being torn down by these early followers of the way. This is a very new thing and very radical thing. Why do you persecute me? Don't persecute me, love me, feed me instead. That's what the followers of the way did. I think we who are in the church are at a time where we can be that again. And we have, like always over the last 2,000 years, uh, have been that, sometimes not anywhere near as well as we should have been. But we're certainly at a wonderful time when we can be that again to subversively change the world that we live in. We can show people this way by living it, by living in this way, the way of following Jesus here within Plymouth, do it in Eau Claire, in Wisconsin, and in the world. Following the way. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. If you love me, then do these things. Amen. And that is the good news for this day and for all days. Thank you again for listening to the Sermons and Sounds of Plymouth podcast. If you are in the Eau Claire area, we especially invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. And I invite you also to check out our website at pcucc.com for upcoming events and special worship services. From Plymouth United Church of Christ, Eau Claire, Wisconsin, This is Pastor David. Thank you for spending this time with us. May God bless you.